Welcome to the Adventures from the Bedrooms of African Women, where we explore all things sex, sexuality, and pleasure. When we started the blog, and now this podcast, and our live festival yes. and all the incredible live events we're beginning to curate all over the world. Mm -hmm. I mean, I also did a little book. Some of you may have heard of The Sex Lives of African Women. Yes. Well, when we did all these things. What were we trying to do, Malaika? We were seeking to challenge perceptions and join an exciting number of brilliant creatives across the continent, like our guest today. Wanuri Cahill. Mm. And she is grappling with so many big questions. And she grapples well. Yes, she does. What are the stories or what are the legends, fables, myths that populate our African context that are based on either imagination or legends and not as a response to marriage, circumcision, or you know what I mean? All those things that were kind of like yoked on as if we can't have imaginations as, as if we can't be um, like uh, holistic beings without being reactive to our country. So most often we're considered as reactive to AIDS and HIV, reactive to poverty. And then our stories seem to be reactive to that rather than an active imagination first that has always been part of Africa's heritage and working from there. Wanuri Kahio is the director of Rafiki, a beautiful lesbian love story that was sadly deemed controversial and banned in her home country, Kenya. Can you believe that? I can, and it's disappointing. And at the same time, with how repressive some of our governments have become, sadly par for the course. Yeah, but this is why Wanuri's work is so important because it resists against that. Absolutely. Wanuri is a storyteller and just an all around fierce, fun, and fantastical African artist. And we wanted to ask her for her take on sex on screen. Damn, she so fly. Goddamn, she might die. She got damn with the goddess life. She everything you were. You know that I already think sex and sexuality is a really, really important topic. And I know that for myself as a writer, sometimes when I read sex scenes in books, I'm like, what is this? Like, where's the action? Like, all you know is that the following morning, this couple have woken up in bed or whatever, you know? And I like realness when it comes to sex. What do you like when it comes to sex scenes and films, Wanuri? And if you can, can you maybe share a sex scene that you really like or you think was done really well? Whatever that means to you. Yeah, so I completely agree with what you're saying. And I think for me, um, sex scenes in movies have been treated in a way that really has has bothered me for the longest time because we have... A pro we have a propensity to show more violence than we do sex. Like we can go into a 15-minute action sequence, but you would never spend that much time on a lovemaking sequence. So I think that the balance has been, one, unfortunately, towards violence in, in film and TV. But second, there hasn't been an active approach on how to properly... Um, figure out sex scenes and and there's there's been growing attempts over the years so now anytime there's a sex scene you have an intimacy coordinator on set right who starts to have conversations about what is comfortable for you what language is comfortable what uh what does a safe space mean with actors even ahead of the, of the time they come onto set and is there on set to help guide the process 
But in and of itself, even that role as an intimacy coordinator is very new. So you have people who've just done like a certificate (laughs) and they just come on set and they still just don't understand because they haven't had an understanding with themselves about maybe their own sexual life, about how to have conversations with others about intimacy and touch. You see, so it's, it's a curious thing that I think we're trying to figure out ways of solving. Now, as far as sex scenes in film, I think one of the ones from Africa that was so revolutionary for me, it's by a, a director called Joe Munga. In a city where everything is for sale. Riva has something everyone wants. Riva. Riva. Riva Riva. But what Riva wants most belongs to another man. Riva. Riva. It was absolutely the first film from the Congo I had I had ever seen. Right. Um, and Joe made he created this really beautiful sex scene in a bathtub that was just like uh, very heated, very beautiful. And it compelled me in such a way because I hadn't seen Africans have sex in a film in that way before. Everything else was mm. cut to the moon. You know what I mean? The shades come, mm-hmm, cut to the mm-hmm, moon. Mm-hmm. It was, it's always yes. the moon. Um, and then the morning after. And this was the first time I was just like, oh, wow, that is so passionate and so sensual. It was just a beautiful, beautiful thing. Adding it to watch. Wow. <laughs> yeah. But it's really interesting what you said, Wanuri, around like how much violence gets portrayed. And, you know, I wonder if that is also more violence portrayed when it comes to the portrayal of African people's sexuality. Because one of our, one of the things that our producer did for this show, right, when she was researching was to Google African film and sex. And what was coming up was a lot of sexual violence. You know, why are lives not also being portrayed as pleasurable, as full of joy, as us being embodied, as us having autonomy? Um, and how can we change that? Do you have any thoughts around that? I mean, that's my life's mission. <laughs> my thoughts are enter life mission here. You know what I mean? <laughs> Love it. Um, because it's the same. It's the same reason. When I made Rafiki, there were not enough Africans falling in love on mm. screen, mm. right? And that's why I chose that as a. I chose to make Rafiki because I just wanted to make a love story, and I wanted to make a love story that you forget who's in it and you just get the sense of falling in love. Let's make a pact that we will never be like any of them down there. Instead, we're gonna be something real. Yes, something real. When you're watching the film, you remember what it was like for you to fall in love. That's the that's the only experience I wanted to create. 
So much so that you remember the falling in love more than you remember that it's two women who are mm. falling in love. Just so that we can take it out of this like boxes that we continue to put things in. Because it seems to me, having made Rafiki, that at some point we forget that uh, people of color and Africans are act actually emotional mm -hmm. beings, right? So if it's, a, if it's a white hetero couple, that's love. Oh my gosh, look at them fall in love. Manye, manye. <laughs> you know what I mean? If you change, if you change any of that dynamic, if mm. it's like uh, a white person and a and a black person, mm. it starts getting more political. Right. Right? Yes. Until yeah. when it's like two African women, they're not in love. They're in they're in politics. Mm. You know what I mean? <laughs> they're not falling in love. They're in political. You know what I mean? Because they just become so distilled into what they're representing, rather than what they're feeling. Mm. And that's been really a curious thing for me, is trying to break this idea that we don't fall in love. We don't have magical sex. We don't have um, one night stands and flings. And that's why I really, really, really cherished Sex Lives of African Women. Because all, for the first time, I was just like, oh my gosh, I have been so colonized. My brain has been so colonized to believe that we are one thing and we express ourselves in one way. When even in my own research, I know that to not be true. But in, in reading it, I just, it, it reminded me how glorious we are as human beings and how our experiences are so varied and so large and cannot be contained in any one thing, you know, not because of religion, not because of tradition and then and and worst of all is when we actually come back to pre-colonial traditions we were we had much less angst around sex absolutely so even in in my own tradition in the Gekoya tradition I recently found out not only can a woman marry another woman which was really interesting to me right but also there was an I they were mostly in open relationships. Mm. So if the if the husband went away, right, and somebody else was coming through town and saw a woman that he liked, whether she was married or not, he would proposition her consensually. She would agree, right? Mm -hmm. And he would put his spear outside her door. Oh. And if the husband came back and he saw the spear outside the door, he knew not to bother his wife. Okay, wow. now. <laughs> and any children that came out of that union were children of the family. So we'd still take the mm -hmm. husband's name. Wow. Yeah. Because the children belong to the family. They don't belong to the man. Yes. You see what I mean? Yes. And then Christianity came and completely ruined up. it. <laughs> and now we have jealousy in ways that are so out of proportion. Mm -hmm. And we're socialized to have jealousy in ways that... Are, that truly do continue not to make sense mm. for me. Mm. <sighs> I feel like we need to go back and learn so much about what like African sexuality was like pre-colonial times. And anytime you hear an anecdote like this, or, you know, you speak to like a really old person and they tell you how things yeah. were in their time, you're like, wow, how have things changed so much? It's, within a generation, like literally within our parents' generation, yes. which yes, is absolutely true. awful. 
you know, one of the things that you, uh, you know, I hear you kind of allude to is, um, you know, this idea of, of masculinity and you kind of talk of it in a very expansive way. How can we incorporate these, I guess, I don't want to say ancient, but, you know, older ideas of masculinity and make them more palatable so that things could be less fucked up today. Does the question make sense? It does, but I I worry that sometimes I truly do worry that patriarchy has always been patriarchy in mm. a way, right? And even traditionally, the patriarchy has been severe and horrible, you know, um, and has been detrimental and harmful as well in the past. So there's some patriarchal practices. I'm just like, you stay where you are in the past. You know what <laughs> I mean? We cannot reform you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do not come and visit us again. So. What I think the questions, especially in now where we are freeing ourselves of constrictive gender profiling, right? How can we redefine what that means, right? So what is masculine? Does that mean strong? Does that mean kind? Does that mean um, responsible? Like, what are those traits of masculinity that we can carry through in our lives so that I have masculine qualities as well as feminine qualities right and how can we teach that to truly the men first huh mm-hmm. truly the cisgender men specifically hetero mm-hmm. ones in understanding that there is a more dynamic way to understand gender and roles outside of i have penis i am man <laughs> You know yep. what I mean? Yep, yep, totally. And I'm wondering, and this obviously speaks to your life mission, but are you interested in creating more films that really show gender and sexuality in more expansive ways? Are you able to speak to anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. And in every project, I truly try to figure out what that means. What does it mean to show tenderness and love? What does it mean to show sensuality for us? You know, I want to continue to create moments like that for all sorts of African identifying people. (laughs) Mm. Um, So that we know that we have, even at the very least, a cinematic history that points to it. Like, look, you see, in Mm -hmm. this film, Mm -hmm. you know, because we we weren't as good as recording our own stories and our own history in a way that is passed on to generations to come. And that's mm. why I think that s- some of the customs about sexuality and, and sensuality have been lost because we didn't translate them more than word right. of mouth, mm. you know? So then where do we, where are those resources for us and how are we creating those resources for us now? Like the podcast, obviously, mm-hmm. so that we know that we existed in mm. these ways. Um, mm. And that's what I want to do through film. Wondering, assuming that with your films like Pumzi and Rafiki, that you produce them, like, like in the sense that they were African productions, right? And I also know you've done some some work with, like, Netflix, which I'm assuming is, you know, not African. Has that made a difference in terms of how you're able to portray sexuality? Because obviously with Rafiki, there was a huge backlash. You had to go to court and the film was banned. I think it's even still banned in Kenya, right? Um, So I'm just wondering if you feel restricted as an African filmmaker who is looking to portray like the the whole range of human emotions and, you know? 
I don't feel restricted because I'm not I'm not going to allow myself to be censored mm-hmm. as a as a filmmaker, as an artist, as a woman, as a mother, as a fill in the blank. I'm mm-hmm. not going to allow myself to be censored in that way. However, I think that we have to find new ways of being able to do this, right? So that we're not getting into trouble. Or if we decide that this is the this is the fight, <laughs> which it is. If the fight is talking about sex in a holistic, wholesome way, right? And we're willing to go to court for it, then what are the safeguards around it? What are the ways that we can make sure that the artists who do these things, they're like sex activists. So if they do this, where are the safe havens for Mm. them? So that when they go to court or when they're being prosecuted, that they have spaces where they can feel safe, Mm -hmm. you know, so that they don't feel like they're out there in the world doing this work by themselves. Um, But the work is going to continue to be the work because... uh, We are who we are. And whether you shut your eyes and deny it doesn't make us less of who we are. I'm curious, when did your life's mission, as you define it, become your mission? Was there a turning point for you? Honestly, watching Viva Riva really changed me Um, Mm. because I was just like, first, one of the things that I did was I I, I always knew I was going to make films and love stories and things like that. But seeing sexuality and sensuality in such a brave, brazen way really moved me because I was just like, oh. I can do it. You know what I mean? So I don't think it happened overnight or anything. Even And Rafiki was part of the movement towards creating a world that I feel acknowledges the world that I live in mm. and the people that I love, mm. right? But all I want to do is is create that, is create our version of utopia's meaning We are surrounded by people who are free of social mistrust, free of unkind patriarchy, Mm -hmm. you know, and where you can offer grace, love and kindness as a core. That for me is a utopia. So I think... Over the years, I've been slowly defining what I want to create. And I want to create African utopias based on relationships, based on kindness, based on real and true love. Um, and see what that does. I love, I love it. So love it. And love see what so it does. <laughs> In this utopia that you're, you're building towards and, and working towards, as you imagine it, what is your favorite part of that utopia, this African utopia? Oh, I love that question for Laika. Yeah. One really inspired me. Um, relationships. <laughs> <laughs> the the thing that is more the the thing that I think is the most beautiful thing about the utopias is relationships, right? Is the idea that we come as our whole selves without judgment mm. and we can. Mm. Right. The idea that we're not prosecuted or persecuted because of who we love or how we identify as a gender. That would be glorious. Mm. Just free of social and political discrimination. Just that would be an amazing space to be in. And what that would do for our relationships. Who would we be then? Who would we be then? If they weren't those constructs and those like constraints on us, what would, how, how glorious could we be? How open and vulnerable 
could we be mm. if that were true? That's something I think about a lot. Yeah, and I think it's so important because if we don't see it, mm. we don't even know it's possible, you know. Yeah, it just leaves our imagination so limited. So I'm so grateful for the work of people like mm-hmm. you. And what I'm also wondering is how has doing this work changed you personally? How do you feel like your own relationship to your body and your sexuality has changed in time as you've become more aware? You know, because like you said, we are all socialized and colonized. Mm -hmm. And it's like we're constantly working to decolonize ourselves. It's been really interesting to see um, how society deems you as a result of the work that you've done. Right? So because I made this particular film, my spirituality came into question. My parenting came into question. The my mm. m- People viewing me as promiscuous happened as a result of making a film. Mm. When an accountant goes to a job and he does whatever job he does, we don't we don't we don't mm-hmm. change values about who they are when they come back home. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But when you're an artist, all of a sudden your whole life becomes something that people can criticize and tear apart, which is a really interesting phenomenon, right? But at the same time, and it really, because I think this was happening in almost what I feel like is the sexual awakening of Africa or reawakening, right? We've probably always been woke, right? And a really, really beautiful conversation about who we truly are, right? And who we are as sexual and sensual beings as well was happening. And, and that was fascinating. And I think because of these things happening and compounding, right, I've also had to define who I am and how mm. I think I am and who I am as a sexual, sensual being and what that means, you know, what that means in my relationship, how I'd like my relationship to grow in that area. I didn't even, I, ha- I hadn't even thought about growth in an area of a relationship in that way before. But now I am, and I am considering, just like we grow in any other spaces, how can we actively like spend time and dedicate time to growing as sensual sexual beings? Yes, I feel like that's a question for everybody who's listening to this podcast to like ask themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And now to the question... <laughs> So there's a question that we've been asking every guest for this season. And it is, can you share a sexy secret with us? And you can interpret that question any way you want to interpret it. Uh, <laughs> sexy secret. Um, I really, truly enjoy time with self, right? And I'm not only talking mm. about being, uh, not only about self-pleasure or anything like that, because even before that happens, I really enjoy sitting with Wanuri. Mm. <laughs> like, who, who's that person? Because I was asked recently in therapy who that person is. And I started to define myself according to roles. I am a mother. I am a wife. Mm. I am a filmmaker. I am an activist in roles, right? Mm. But all those roles, I don't know if I found who I was within that, right? So now what I am truly enjoying doing that I find very, very sexy is me 
<laughs> is sitting with me, <laughs> is learning who I am. If I sit in silence or if I, if I ride a bike or if I do something that is truly pleasurable, is that me and how can I have mm. more pleasure in that? That's what I'm actively trying to do this year. That's lovely. Yes! I love it, I love it, I love it, yeah. I really loved this conversation with Wanuri. I think part of what will cause the world to change and for us to live in a better world is if we can imagine and literally see these new worlds. We need to see them visually on our screens. We need to read about new worlds and books. And these are not worlds that are far away. These are worlds that actually exist in the here and now in like small pockets. And I think we just need to, to see them and feel them and know that we can live in a world where, you know, everybody deserves love and everybody's able to love who they want to and 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 just like just live that's all i agree with you 100 percent. i really loved this conversation with ranuri it just confirmed in me that we don't have to go outside of the continent for inspiration for magic and myth we can just draw from our own histories absolutely and apply that and just see what is possible if we just open our minds up yeah totally. what what is possible in the future if we are really open so i am i leave inspired yeah and if you want more inspiration join us every week we have amazing guests who bring the fire each and every single week i won't say keep coming you know you want to say it keep, keep coming, coming. <laughs> <laughs> The Adventures from the Bedrooms of African Women podcast is hosted by Malaika Grant and Nana Darkose Chiama. Sally Chan, AQ Studios CEO, is an executive producer alongside the hosts. Ferdy Boswell is a senior producer. Audio editors are Mercy Barno and Tevin Sudi, alongside production support from Mercy Gudaga and Lucas Ngao. The Adventures from the Bedrooms of African Women podcast is a production of AQ Studios in partnership with Masi Media. Follow us on all our socials at AQ Studios Podcasts. Our theme music is Damn by Ria Boss. Find adventures from the bedrooms of African women anywhere you get your podcasts and in the pursuit of all things sex, sexuality and pleasure. Follow us on all our social media platforms at Adventures From. Thank you for listening. Damn, she's so fly. Damn, she's my 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 she's